0: Our sermon passage today is Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My king and my God, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacchah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you.
1: You'll be seated. Let's pray. have Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we are so thankful for the fact that you are a God that calls us into your presence, Lord. We are so thankful for the fact that not only do you call us into your presence, Lord, but you have made a way. Lord, when we were broken, you provided healing. When we were sinful and rebellious, you've provided forgiveness through your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And in all obstacles that could be between us and you, Lord, you have provided a way through your son, Jesus, Lord, and I just pray that as we meditate, as we dwell, as we learn from this psalm today, Lord, we would know how sweet it is to be in your presence, Lord, and that understanding what it means to dwell in your house will bring us joy, will bless us beyond comparison, Lord. Lord, we love you, and we just pray that you bless the study of your word today, and that you would help us know what it, what it is like to be in your presence so that we could know you and be changed by you. Lord, we love you and praise you, amen. Well, good morning, Redeemer. My name is LJ, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I get the opportunity to fill in for Jamie this morning as uh, we continue to go through the book of Psalms this summer. Um, As many of you guys know, our normal tradition at Redeemer is to actually study through um, a book of the Bible entirely, Uh, but every once in a while we do diverge from that in order to focus on something uh, that that we feel like is important for the health of the church. And this summer uh, is a really good opportunity for us to stop and just look at the Psalms and remind ourselves all of the ways in which the Lord invites us to approach Him in prayer and worship. Um, we have psalms that remind us that if we are going through suffering or hardship, that there is a way for us to communicate that honestly before the Lord and to trust in him. We have psalms that remind us that if we are going through a season in which we are incredibly thankful, we have entire language that is bent towards helping us express that thanksgiving to the Lord. In fact, uh, we have entire psalms that teach us that when we have been wronged, or we are anger or full of righteous and sometimes not so righteous anger, there is language that the Lord gives us to teach us how to bring that before the Lord. Right. The Psalms gives us so much language that reminds us that every single one of us goes through a different experience in this world. Every single one of us has different emotional reactions to what we face within this world and that there is no experience or there is no emotional status in which the Lord does not invite us to bring it before him and just to lay it down at his feet. And this is such an important thing because it reminds us that the Psalms are there to teach us how to bring our current situations to a point of worship and trust in the Lord. Now, Psalms 84, I'm really excited about because Psalm uh, Psalm 84 is a Psalm that specifically uh, deals with the themes of joy, happiness, and trust, it teaches us how to walk through certain avenues of our lives and, and realize that at the end of, of this road, there is a position of worship, and that worship in itself is a blessing to us, and that blessing should bring us to a position of happiness, and I would even say joy, that a fruit of the Spirit, as we learn in the New Testament, the fruit of being in a relationship with, with Jesus Christ is, in fact, having the mark of joy that's constantly before us. Now, we're gonna be using the word blessed and happiness and joy throughout this sermon, and I do want to, to make it clear that we're not talking about a shallow, fake it till you make it type of happiness. We're not talking about a shallow, no matter what's going on, just put a smile on your face, but what we're talking about is the type of joy, the type of happiness that comes whenever you stand in the presence of the Lord and realize that in light of the Lord, no matter my circumstances, no matter my situation, all things are okay as long as I'm with him. The absolute peace that comes from that. Now, in Psalm 84, uh, there's varying categories that have been attributed to Psalm 84, like what was the purpose of it? Um, St. Augustine uh, actually referred to Psalm 84 as the winepress psalm. Uh, the psalm that you would recite to yourself if you felt like you were being crushed like grapes. It's not super optimistic, but you know I can see how some people might feel that way and might be looking for some joy. Uh, Spurgeon, when he refers to Psalm 84, he refers to it as the great psalm of peace. And he said, in all of Christian literature, there is no psalm that can match Psalm 84 for its ability to bring peace to an individual that will submit themselves to the Lord. My favorite theme that is brought up and is the one that I've actually mentioned before is that psalm is a psalm of blessedness and trust. Psalm 84 is the psalm that teaches us how we can walk a road in which we submit ourselves and we trust in the Lord fully and how that trusting in the Lord that way can result in a blessed, happy, joyful life, a blessed, happy, joyful experience before the Lord. So we're gonna dig into the psalm In just a little bit, and we're just going to see what this psalm has to offer us. And and, and hopefully, we're going to take this psalm with all of the other psalms that are offered within the canon, and and we're going to have this, in addition to all the others, one more way in which we realize, like, hey, this is how it is okay for me to approach the Lord. This is how it's okay for me to think about and worship the Lord. Now, before we dig into this, I want to make a plug for something. Uh, One of the Christian disciplines uh, that is oftentimes easy to neglect is the discipline of memorizing scripture. All right, when we get into the Psalms, the the practice of memorizing Psalms and memorizing scripture becomes so significant simply because of the fact that Psalms were never really written (laughs) to be presented in lecture format. Uh, Psalms were not really written for somebody to stand up and to pontificate on how deep their meaning is. They were written to be held deep within the heart of an individual so that when a person was experienced any given moment, they would have the language that their heart could pray out or could cry out in that moment. We're incredibly influenced by Psalms. As a people, we're incredibly influenced by song. I don't even like music that much, but my life has a soundtrack to it. Does anybody else in here have a soundtrack to their life? I can tell you at any given moment, if I hear somebody say, in West Philadelphia, born and raised, I can't finish, I immediately start smiling and I have to finish the rest of that song. If I'm feeling melancholy and, and I feel like things are just kind of going their own way and I don't really understand what's going on, Sitting on the dock of the bay just starts playing in my head, and for some reason, that brings a little bit of joy to me. This past week at camp, I'm not going to acknowledge who it was, uh, but I just know that the words I want to dance with somebody came on, and somebody came to life in a way that I've never seen them before. Music affects us, man. It changes us. So when we think about the Psalms, the Psalms are something that we want to consume. We want to eat them. We want to taste and know that the Lord is good so that those things are deep within our heart so that when we go through an experience that is similar to the experience of the psalmist, that our thought is not, hey, I wanna go listen to a sermon about this. Our thought is, I want my heart to sing forth the words that are in scripture. It gives life to us. Now I do wanna clarify, the sermons are needed. The theology is needed, we have to have it, but the Psalms are given to us so that we can hear the poetry of God and know how to approach them. So that's what we're gonna do, is we're gonna dig into a poem. And my encouragement, hopefully, is that the words of this will stick to you in such a way that when you encounter a situation like the psalmist is going through, that you would have the language for your heart to cry out in joy. So Psalm 84 is also a psalm of beatitude. Uh, Oftentimes when we think about the beatitudes, we think about the beatitudes written in the gospels. But the Psalm 84 is actually broken up into three beatitudes, three blessed are those statements. So we're actually going to teach, our, 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 we're gonna go through this psalm focusing on each one of those beatitudes. And we're gonna see the way the psalmist writes about what it looks like to be Blessed. be blessed. And that word blessed is oftentimes translated as happy. And and again, not that shallow type of happiness, but a deep happiness that only comes in a a total, complete, given relationship with the Lord. So starting off in verse one, you guys, if you have it, open up to Psalm 84, and and I'm going to read and just follow along with me. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, For my soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they sing for joy to the living God. For even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow, a nest for herself, where she, she may lay her young. And at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises." So the psalmist, as he opens this up, he says, hey, this is the mark of a blessed and happy individual. A blessed and happy individual is an individual that is able to dwell in the house of the Lord and forever sing his praises. Now, as we approach the psalm, what we have to realize is the psalmist is writing this from the perspective of this is the goal of the psalmist. All right, they're writing this from the perspective of I am not there yet, but I have tasted and I've seen the goodness of the Lord and I realize how sweet it must be to dwell in his presence and I'm longing for that ability. I'm longing for that opportunity to just be there with the Lord. The, the language that he, he, he uses, the psalmist is using here is, is that my soul longs and faints the courts of the Lord. This is similar uh, and is attributed to the same author as Psalm 20, is it 23? As the deer, no, it's not 23, it's 41. As the deer pants for the water. How many of you guys know that hymn? Remember it. As the deer panteth for, I don't know what panteth means, but as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. It creates this image of this deer that is so thirsty that it's at the point where it's just panting and panting. It needs nourishment. It needs life-giving water. And in the same way that a deer would pant for the water, my soul is longing after you. And the psalmist is writing, in my current situation, this is what I know, is that my soul is longing, dare say even. even fainting to be in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is life-giving. It's sustaining. I need to be there. And not just my spirit. My spirit doesn't need to commune with the Lord, but the psalmist writes it from the perspective of my heart and my flesh. Every aspect of who I am needs to be in the courts of the Lord because in the courts of the Lord is where I receive my life, my sustenance, my provision, everything. And I love the image that he portrays like as he's talking about the courts of the Lord, he says, hey, this is what the courts of the Lord are like that even a swallow and a sparrow are able to find a place within the walls of the courts of the Lord. And even they are safe to build their nests and to bring forth their young. And I love this imagery. You have this guy that is looking about the presence of the Lord and he's saying, whatever it is to dwell in the courts of the Lord, this is what I know is that the temple, it is... It is exalted enough in that it is, it is adequate for the holy presence of the Lord, but it is inviting enough that even the humble sparrow and the humble swallow can find a place within its walls. And I love this imagery because it reminds me that wherever the Lord is, that if the sparrow is welcome there, then surely I should be welcome too if the swallow and the sparrow can find a place in the walls, then surely I should be able to find a place in the courts of the Lord as well. Well, how do we find that place? Well, it simply says this, that that they're they're able to to lay their young, the sparrows and swallows, and then he's able to say, Lord, at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Why is there a welcoming at the, in the courts of the Lord? Why is there an open invitation for people to dwell there within his presence? Because it's within the courts of the Lord that we realize the sacrifice takes place. So again, this is written from the perspective, the psalmist is not in the temple, he's not in the presence of the Lord. Most likely this is written as a pilgrimage psalm. It's a song that they would have sung as they're in, on the way to the presence of the Lord, as they're on the way to the temple. And he said, hey, in the temple is the holy place where the spirit would reside. And this is how I know that I'm going to be welcome within the temple is because within the temple are the altars and the altars provide the means in which I can be redeemed and reconciled with the Lord. His presence not only sustains, but he places what's necessary for me to be able to openly be invited into that presence. And he says, my king and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. So there's so much emphasis here that's on the dwelling, the place of the Lord. And what I really, really love about this is that it focuses not just on the dwelling of the Lord, but it focuses on what makes the dwelling of the Lord so great is that it is where the living God resides. It's where the living God resides. What makes the house great It's who lives in the house that makes it great. The temple in itself is just rock on top of rock, but what makes the temple so wonderful is that the spirit of God dwelled within it. What makes the dwelling place of the Lord great is the presence of the Lord. This is the thing. We were created to be dependent individuals. We were created to be dependent people. We are creatures completely relying on our Creator. And we live in a world that tells us over and over again, you shouldn't depend on anyone. You should do it on your own. You should always be self-sufficient, always get it done on your own. And what this is telling us is no, if you wanna know what, what joy and blessed worship looks like, it looks like recognizing that you're completely dependent on the presence of another. It's realizing that if you really want joy in your worship, the very first place to start is learning how to abide and dwell in the presence of the Lord. Any of you guys have a moment whenever you were kids that you remember like, man, maybe I don't feel super safe in this environment, but as long as I'm with this person, I know that I'm okay? You guys have parents or grandparents that you knew like, man, no matter what the circumstances are, as long as I'm with this person, I'm fine. Right? As a child, that was my dad. If I was with my dad, I was safe. My dad and I didn't even have a great relationship all the time but I knew if I were with dad, no matter how dangerous the situation was, I'm fine. I should be safe, so I thought I knew. Remember one time we decided to go fishing. My dad was a little bit braver than he probably should have. We took a canoe into the St. John's River. A canoe sounds like a canoe because it's about the size of a canoe and it's got a flat back that you can put a motor on. All right, the St. John's River is a big river. It is a big, powerful river. Good news, have no place on the St. John's River. They should not be out there. I remember we went out there on this little boat, and we're going through this massive river on this tiny little boat, and we look out in the distance, and here comes a storm. And if any of you guys are wondering, a five-horsepower Johnson motor does not outrun a Florida thunderstorm. It cannot Well, we see the storm coming and my dad just lets it go. And here we go. We're just kind of skipping over the water as fast as we can. And before I knew it, that storm had kind of landed on top of us. And here we are in a boat that is not adequate for the body of water that we are on. And the waves are kind of crashing all over us. It's raining as hard as it can possibly rain. And in, in any given situation, I should have been terrified. But I remember looking back at my dad and my dad was so confident that I thought, well, if he's this confident, how scared could I possibly be? So I looked back and I was like, Dad, I think we're sinking. He said, don't worry about it. I said, well, what do you want me to do? And thankfully, he had collected about six silver cans that he cut the top off of. Not a believer, just wanna clarify this. Uh, Cut the top of these. And he said, well, just take these two cans and start bailing. And I thought, well, that's the solution. So I start bailing this boat out the best I can. It did not work. We sank right in the middle of the St. John's River. Thankfully, at this point, we got close enough where we could kind of swim over to the edge. I got over the edge and at that time, I was like, man, that was kind of a fun adventure. I wasn't scared, I wasn't nervous, wasn't anything. About five years later, I started reflecting back on this. And at this point, I know my dad a little bit better. And I realize my dad was not a trustworthy individual. <laughs> I wasn't scared in the moment, but I should have been scared. I should have been terrified. But at that point in time, my heart was bent towards simply acknowledging that if I'm in my dad's presence, I must be safe. And that was a grace from the Lord. It was a grace from the Lord to have that experience, to know that the presence of a trustworthy individual can result in a joy within my own heart. And unfortunately, that went away in the moment that I realized that my dad wasn't as trustworthy as I wanted him to be. But that's where the gospel becomes so powerful is that we're invited into a relationship with a God, a father who is in fact always trustworthy. So we get a story like the New Testament where the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and they're in a storm and the waves are crashing and he's just asleep in the front. Jesus is just sleeping and the disciples go and they're terrified and they wake him up And he wakes up and he just simply looks at the storm and he says, peace and be still. And here's the difference between the two is I had placed all of my confidence in a person that would not be able to provide me the level of security that I actually thought that he could. But when we trust in the presence and the presence alone of a living God, we realize that we're trusting someone who will never fail. He'll never fail us. So we start off this psalm simply with this. Well, how do we get the most joy and blessing and happiness out of our worship is we start off with the idea that our worship always begins with entering into the presence of a living God. In the Old Testament, the psalmist most likely had maybe a, a, a time, maybe a couple of times out of the year where they would have gone up to the temple for worship. Most of the time they lived outside they, they lived in what he's gonna to refer to later as the Valley of Baca. Their life was spent outside, but they got the experience of going into the presence multiple times a year. The advantage that we have as believers is we get to dwell in the presence of the Lord at any given opportunity that we want. At this time, the Spirit was within the temple, but Paul reminds us in the New Testament that the living God does not dwell in a temple made with human hands. In fact, in Corinthians, he goes, on for, uh, he goes as far as saying, hey, the Spirit of God, do you not know that you are the temple, that the church is where the Spirit of God dwells? And any individual that calls on the name of the Lord for salvation, they're given the Holy Spirit as a seal for their eternal security, for their inheritance that is coming. This is the blessing that we have in the New Testament church is at any given moment we have the opportunity to abide in the presence of the Lord. And our worship our worship drives us to joy when our worship starts with a desire to simply be in his presence. The second point that we're gonna go to is blessed are those whose strength is in you. And starting in verse five, read with me. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. And as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. And early rain also covers it with pool. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Salah. Behold our shield, our God. Look on the face of your anointed one. I love this. He said, where does blessing and joy and happiness come from? It comes from those that realize that their strength is the Lord's. And I appreciate this because this is a very honest look. The psalmist is giving us a very honest look at reality. Our faith is not some pie-in-the-sky type of faith. Our faith is the reality that we're called to a relationship with the living God, but sometimes when we're called to that relationship with the living God, we still have to live in the valley. Here he refers to the Valley of Bacah. That can be translated in one of two ways. Uh, The Valley of Bacah can either be referred to as the Valley of Weeping, uh, if it's translated that way, some people say that this might be a metaphorical or an allegorical expression of just simply saying, hey, sometimes you go through these heavy seasons of mourning, of suffering, of hardship. And, and it would be the equivalent of walking through the valley of weeping. Um, the other translation is some people say that the word baka may actually refer to a type of tree that would have grown in that area, a a tree referred to as the balsam tree. The balsam tree is a tree that's roots have to dig deep because it it can't get water in a very arid desert-like environment. But either way, the meaning of these are very similar. The psalmist is writing that, hey, when I'm walking through this world, oftentimes I'm walking through a hard life, a life of suffering, a life of difficulty, a life in which things around me seem very dry and arid. But here's what I've learned is that I can find joy in my worship when I'm walking through the valley if I can actually get the Lord as my strength, when I can relate to the Lord and recognize that He Himself is my strength. He'll give me what I need to get through these circumstances. He'll give me what I need to get through to the other side. This is a consistent teaching all throughout scripture is we have this idea that the Lord does not prevent his believers, his followers, his children from going through hardship, but the Lord does promise that no amount of suffering will go wasted. In the New Testament, we know that all things work out to for the good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We realize that he walks through all situations with us. In fact, uh, one of the other Psalms actually makes it clear that, hey, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why do we not fear evil? Because he's with us. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us in those moments. Guys, this is what dependent faith looks like. This is what dependent faith looks like when it leads to joy. And that is simply saying, hey, when I'm at my weakest, he is at his strongest. And if I can rely on him for strength and not rely on myself for strength, I can actually experience great joy in the midst of suffering. Here it says, when we're walking through the valley, it will be as if the valley of weeping results in springs of life and pools of water that begin to grow up around us he will take our rocky soil and make it fertile ground. And if we can understand what it looks like to live in that strength, in the strength of the Lord, not our own strength, then we can come to him in worship that is actually joyful. And I love it. One of the things that I also appreciate about this is he directly connects the idea of uh, those who are blessed whose strength is the Lord, he directly connects that with those on whose heart are the highways to Zion. So Zion is used throughout all of scripture to refer to the place in which the Lord would dwell, the dwelling of the Lord, the place where where he would reign, but also the place where he would be worshiped. And he's saying, guys, do you wanna know where you get your strength from? Your strength comes whenever your hearts are directed to the presence of the Lord. And this is such an amazing thing because it gives us a very practical application. That means that our worship and our enjoyment of worship does not start with the atmosphere within the room or the genre of music that is being played. Our enjoyment and our joy and the blessing that comes from our worship starts when we take our hearts and direct them to the Lord, And this is what's so beautiful about this, is that if we can set our hearts on the Lord, Dan could come out here with a flugelhorn and a jazz sax, and we would find reason to worship the Lord. But if our hearts are set on the things of this world, there's not any amount of atmosphere or genre or anything that can happen that's actually going to result in joy, the other thing that I love about this is it says that those that find their strength in the Lord, that as they go near the presence and are approaching Zion, that their strength will turn from strength to strength. I love this. Again, this isn't referring to as you follow the Lord, you God will make you stronger and you will gain strength. But he's saying, hey, as you follow the Lord and your strength is the Lord, the closer that you get to the Lord, the more dependent you will become on him, the more easily you will be able to respond on to faith and you'll realize, hey, even though I don't stop going through difficult situations, these difficult situations feel so much easier simply because of the fact that I can trust in the Lord who is strong. My strength turns into strength the more that I pursue him. I don't know, any of you guys grew up in the age of the power team? The power team, that was an amazing thing. These were these guys that would go around into churches and they would do these, uh, these exhibits of strength where they would talk about the Lord and the way that the Lord had given them faith. And guys, this, this was really, it was just bad. It was bad. Now I'm gonna go ahead and acknowledge we have somebody within our congregation that came to know the Lord through a presentation of the power team. So the Lord uses us all. But this was like, hey guys, if you trust in the Lord, you like me will be able to rip a phone book in half. Like, if you really trust the Lord, then you, like me, will be able to take this rebar and just turn it into a pretzel. If your faith is strong the way that my faith is strong, then you, like me, will be able to run straight through this wall of ice. There was this entire concept of of the idea, if you have real faith, then the Lord will make you strong. But the consistency that we see in Scripture is, no, if you have real faith, then what you realize is that in your weakness... He is strong and your strength will come from more so finding your dependence in him and him alone. Your strength will go from strength to strength as you approach Zion and as you dwell with him in Zion. And when you can come to the point where you realize like, hey, I'm here to worship and I'm here to pray. And no matter what's going on in my life right now, if I can just be in his presence and I can utilize his strength, then I can pray and I can worship in joy and there's nobody that can rob that from me. And that brings me to my third and final point, And that is blessed are those who trust in you. Starting in verse 10, it says this, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold for those from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed and happy is the one who dwells in your house. Blessed and happy is the one whose strength is you. Blessed is happy is the one who trusts in you. Going back to that theme of our joy is directly tied to our dependence on the Lord and our trusting the Lord. There's two things that I wanna point out. One, he makes the comment, "Uh, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. This reinforces this idea that our, our, our worship and our following of the Lord starts with the disposition of our heart, because wherever our heart is, there goes the rest of us. In the New Testament, it says this, wherever your treasure is, there goes your heart also. If your treasure, if your heart is for the things of the world, then the things of the world is most likely what you will receive. But if your heart is set towards the presence of the Lord, then what you will arrive at is in fact the presence of the Lord. And there's two things in this last passage that I think are so significant for us to remember and remind us so much as to why we want to trust in him and him alone. And that is what the Lord has to offer is better. It's just better. And our hearts sometimes want things that don't belong to the, to the Lord. And sometimes our hearts will convince us that if we just have this, then I would be happy. And if I just had this, then I would actually be joyful. And if I just had this, then I could feel secure. And what the psalmist is reminding us is, guys, if you pursue the Lord, what you will realize that what the Lord has for you may not be what you want right now, but it is in fact So trust him, trust him because he has the better thing to offer you. And the final thing that I wanna point out is, is this, trust him because he will not withhold any good thing from you. As this is such a hard thing to kind of set our hearts on because so many of us have grown cynical and critical of the world that we live in. So many of us, we love to hear good news, but we always are kind of watching out for We're watching out for what's the real thing that you're looking for here. We're excited when something good happens, but we have to expect the hammer to fall on the other side. When we come to the Lord in worship, one of the things that we can do is we can come to him fully entrusting in him, realizing that when he offers a good thing to us, there is no condition attached to it. The condition is is that we set our hearts to him and we follow. The condition is that we walk uprightly. That doesn't include perfection. It just simply means setting our hearts on his paths and actually beginning to pursue him in that way. But many of us have a hard time even imagining a relationship where we could trust somebody so much that would be able to look them in the eyes and know for certain that whatever you have for me is actually better than anything I could imagine for myself and I can know for certain that you will never withhold a good thing from me. And that's why I can say it would be better to be a shoe shiner in the courts of heaven than it would be to be a CEO of a major tech firm in the United States. That's why he's able to say it'd be better to just simply hold the door of your courts than it would be to dwell in the dens of iniquity here. It's just better to be with you. Why? Because joy and happiness and worship comes from dwelling in the presence of the Lord from allowing the Lord to be our strength and only our strength and from trusting in him entirely. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much and we're so thankful for you. It's hard for me to imagine how good you actually are and not only how good you are, but how freely you offer that goodness to us, to those of us that follow you. Lord, I just pray that as we hear these words and we reflect on this psalm, Lord, that we'll be able to walk away realizing how much joy and blessing comes in your presence. And Lord, as a result, Lord, we would set our hearts towards you always. Lord, we love you and praise you. Amen.